Hi, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Toy Heart, a podcast about bluegrass. This is the last episode of season two here from Nashville is my conversation with Allison Krauss. I remember, you know, the first time I looked out in the audience and saw people singing words to our songs that only we had recorded. That was just a really crazy moment. Just never thought it would end up being there. Never thought we'd hear back from Rounder. Yeah. Never thought we would hear from Rounder in the first place. If this is your first time listening, you can hear full interviews with Jerry Douglas, Allison Brown, Bela Fleck, Larry Sparks, Jody Stecker, and so many more wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Later on. Hello, and thanks for listening. This is Basic Folk, a podcast where we have honest conversations with folk musicians. I'm your host, Cindy Howes. If this is your first time listening to Basic Folk, welcome. If it's not your first time listening to Basic Folk, you may have noticed our new theme music. That's right. We're debuting our new theme song by Alex Stanton of Townspeople. So psyched to debut it on this episode of Basic Folk where we are talking to Jenny Owen Youngs. Uh, Jenny Owen Youngs is an indie pop songwriter, queer icon, and podcast host. I am beyond thrilled to have her on Basic Folk. Her new EP, Night Shift, is out now, unless you're listening on uh, November 14th, in which case it's out tomorrow. Uh, The EP is coming out on November 15th, so we get to talk about that and also about her whole life in our conversation from her young life in rural New Jersey to space camp, where uh, she actually wished for more space information and less camp stuff, to we talk about coming out in a very public way in 2012. Uh, Jenny is a sweet, funny, and caring person, and we really get into what makes her tick in this episode. Jenny's been on my radar since 2005. I discovered her music on MySpace.com. Remember that website? Maybe you don't. But uh, her debut album, Bat in the Hatches, came out then, and she's released two full-length albums since 2005 and has a handful of EPs. In recent years, Jenny's created this absolutely amazing community, along with Kristen Russo, with their podcast, Buffering the Vampire Slayer. Um, that goes through commentary about each episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and includes an original song by Jenny at the end of each podcast. And her other podcast, Veronica Mars Investigations, is hosted by Jenny and also Helen Zoltzman. Very happy to have her on this episode of Basic Folk. We're going to hear a song from her uh, EP Night Shift, which is out now. Uh, This song is called Dreaming on the Bust, and then we'll get to our conversation with Jenny Owen Youngs on Basic Folk. I was dreaming on the bus, can't remember where I was, sun was flashing through the trees, you were right there next to me, I reached out to touch your skin, and like a light that's flickering, you were there and then you were gone, in and out and on and on, when I wake up the engine's cold. Thank you so much for talking to Basic Folk. Thanks for talking to me. Um, I was texting with you a while ago and asked you to be on this podcast and told you it was the reason why I had a podcast, and that's like basically true. Unbelievable. Explain yourself. Well, <laughs> I don't know. It just I just feel so uh, inspired and influenced by you. <laughs> Fantastic. You grew up in rural New Jersey, which I sure did. is so funny. I don't know if a lot of people think of New Jersey as being rural in Suffolk County, 
Can you talk about what your environment and surroundings were like growing up? Yeah, yeah. Actually, um, I should specify that I was actually in Sussex County, not Suffolk County. Oh, did I say um, Suffolk? Yeah, I think so. But also I could have misheard you. But also, is there a Suffolk County in New Jersey? Well, the one thing I am certain of is that I grew up in Sussex County. <laughs> uh, that's the one thing I can say for positive. It was like uh, there were a lot of farms and a lot of woods. The Appalachian Trail is right there. kind of runs through the area where I grew up. Did you ever until I did you ever hit the Appalachian Trail? Yeah, the the until I was like until I was about 13, we lived in this house that was legit in the middle of the woods. It was like on like 50 acres and my parents were kind of like caretakers of the grounds. Hmm. And there were like bears and a waterfall and then eventually around 13 14 we moved out and onto and onto this little lake. We were sort of like in between a lake and the Appalachian Trail was basically like across the street from my house, a leg of it. Um, so yeah, I was on there all the time. Wow. Although, a, you know, limited run of it. <laughs> so you had a lot of experience I read with like black bears and other wildlife. So what was your, yes. what yes. was your um, reaction, your relationship to that nature? Oh, I was like super into it. I spent a lot of time outside as a kid. I did a lot of like net fishing, like catching sunfish and frogs and whatnot and usually like when the bears would really come like near the house which was usually in the summer because there were these two big mulberry trees right by the house and some apple trees so I guess like summer and fall whenever there was like fruit on the trees the bears would occasionally come out and just like get up in the tree and go to town uh, on the available produce so whenever that would happen I would like go outside and get as close as I could to them um, I was like a latchkey kid, so this behavior was not necessarily endorsed by my parents, but they weren't always around to stop me from doing that. Mm. Yeah, who was showing you all this nature, like showing you how to fish and all that? I guess my dad taught me how to like line, like fish with a rod, but the nets, I think like when we moved into this house, the 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 property was owned by this Wall Street guy who just was like in the city most of the time, and he had this beautiful property but like people needed to be there year-round to like just kind of take care of the the grass and the trees and and everything when we moved in there was like just like a whole collection of stuff already at the house like nets and and tanks and stuff so I just kind of like got in there and and uh huh you're making me really wonder <laughs> how did this <laughs> happen I think I was just like pro animal and like really interested in being as close to animals at all times and um I guess like net fishing was like a weird uh way to do that would you catch and release yeah yeah catch keep in a tank for like the day and then release at the end of the day what would that create day a world and then deconstruct <laughs> that world <laughs> oh man <laughs> what, what was that day like when you would have your world set up it was like, well, like, you know, the weekends or summertime, um, it would be like, I'd just be kind of like outside for as long as I could be mm -hmm. a lot of the time. Um, and depending on what kind of animals, what kind of fish were, were uh, coming near enough to the shore for me to get at them, there would usually be just like some sunfish and maybe some tadpoles if it was like that time of year, um, maybe some crayfish. Not to be confused with crawfish. I don't understand why those two things are named so close. And they both look kind of sh shrimpy and um, bleh. Uh, but then they have almost the same name. It's got to cause a lot of confusion. Um, salamanders, you know, just like whoever was around. I would just be doing that, uh, you know, for the bulk of the day until it got dark, I guess. How do you think that that experience and that like sort of connection to all this wildlife and outdoors how do you think you feel that connection now or how does it affect you I think what has been kind of like true my whole life including right now is that when I am in nature I feel like a real and complete person and I feel like peaceful and quiet on the inside and the longer I go not being in that environment the worse I feel mm. so help I live in LA <laughs> uh, and it is stressful in that way yeah it's so funny that you feel that way because you've been such an urban dweller your whole life I guess it has felt like 
socially and musically like it was very important for me to be in new york and now to be in la Mm -hmm. um up to this point i am now at the point in my life where i'm like i'm like Gollum over here squinting across (laughs) the three thousand mile distance uh scheming on how i can get back (laughs) to the woods in the northeast (laughs) that's awesome so your mom and dad what were what were they like for you growing up? I know your mom was um she an apple queen or some kind of queen? <laughs> yeah, my mom was the apple queen uh at one point. She was probably other produce queen titles. Um she was like a a national champion baton twirler and sometimes pageant queen. She was Miss Greater Philadelphia, but did not make it to Miss Pennsylvania, unfortunately, and thus did not continue on to the Miss America pageant, alas. Oh, well. <laughs> but uh, she's a cool lady, and that was all uh, certainly uh, done with by the time I kind of, like, became, by the time I existed. Did her... She was done twirling. <laughs> what, did her, like, beauty pageantry creep into her personality at all? I think that my mom is particular i think there's like a certain type of particularity that has been handed down across the generations uh Mm. on my mom's side but i would say a lot of my mom's life has been kind of like she put that down and when and was kind of like i'll do what i want now you know i think like there was a lot of pressure in her family to like perform and succeed and excel And, you know, she would practice twirling for, like, hours before school and then for hours when she got home. It worked in... My my grandparents had a a big, big farm, like a produce farm, peaches and cherries and stuff. So she was always, like, she and her siblings were always, like, picking. So she was, like, working on the farm, going to school and twirling like crazy and then going to competitions and stuff on the weekends. And I think, like... By the time she got married to my dad, I think she was just like, F this, I'll do what I want now. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my dad is like, as my girlfriend recently described him to me upon meeting him, a charisma machine. Um, he's just like a, a charmer, but he's also like, he can be shy and he's just very, like a very sweet, warm guy. My folks split up when I was like six. So then, like, from the time I was six onward, um, I lived with my mom and saw my dad on the the weekends. Okay, so let's talk about the different summer camps you went to. Oh, my gosh. Okay, I can help. Yes. Okay, so I heard about space camp and karate camp, but please fill in the gaps. The big ones. And then I, I did go to, like, a more traditional, like, sleepaway camp at least once. I don't remember a ton about regular sleepaway camp, except that one of the counselors at the time was like, so you live in New Jersey, are you close to the city? And I was like, I guess so. And I was like 10 or something. And she was like, well, like how many miles are you from the city? And I was like, well, how long is a mile? And she was like, a mile's pretty long. And I was like, I'm probably like five miles from the city. <laughs> um, I don't know why that has stuck with me. And I also don't know why I'm still like, oh, I'm so ashamed that, that I didn't know how long a mile was or how many miles I lived from New York City when, like, that was the last thing I needed to know. How but old were you? it has stuck with me. Like, 10, I think. Mm. 9 or 10. Mm-hmm. But karate camp was good and space camp was also good, though probably not. Like, I, I don't think I was maybe the best socially equipped person to... I, like, I wanted to learn about space, but I didn't want to, like, have to make friends to do it. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like, but on it's, reality it's kind TV. Of, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I'm not here to make friends. I'm here to learn. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I wish that there had been like less of a kind of mandatory deep end social component mm. to space camp. Or maybe I wish I was just a less awkward kid. That would have been cool too. Were you an awkward kid? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was like such an awkward kid. Oh, my God. Do they make not awkward kids though? Probably not. Like even the kids that I thought were, like, super cool when I was, like, 12 or 10 or whatever probably also look back and they're like, oh, God, I sucked. I sucked so bad. <laughs> um, when does that phase finally end? Because I feel like I, I apologized to somebody the other day for, like, 
being a college-aged awkward kid. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I don't know. I'm still waiting for those. I guess the moments uh, become fewer and farther between. Mm. And maybe you get a better perspective on, like, the devastation, the appropriate level of devastation for for awkwardness as, as you go. But doesn't seem like they're gonna go away completely anytime soon how did you feel when you were a kid about performing or public attention as somebody who now receives like plenty of public attention and constantly has to perform I think when I was a kid I like wanted attention but was like very embarrassed when I received attention and I think that's still fairly accurate perhaps to a lesser degree but, you know, my Leo rising is, like, working overtime, mm. got the top hat out, you know, <laughs> and Michigan J frogging all over the place. <laughs> and the, But on the inside, I'm just like, well, it would be so embarrassing if anyone thought that I wanted any attention, how incredibly shameful that would be, you know? Um, A duality. And, yeah, yeah. So those things, I think, feel relatively in opposition with, with one another and... I think like that probably caused some like meaningful conflict in me over time. Uh, But now I feel pretty chill. I think when when I am on a stage doing something that is performance based, I feel pretty, pretty comfortable. Once I like turned the corner into my 30s, it started to become increasingly clear to me that I can do whatever I want. And to a certain degree, nothing matters. (laughs) Um, which is very uh, freeing and empowering and not like in a nihilistic way. Um, The the ideas aren't like that. It's just sort of like, you know, as as human beings, I think uh, one of the ways we're always looking for structure. We like really like to binarize things because that makes them like really understand, really easy to understand, like good and bad, right and wrong, black and white. And we and we similarly, I think, try to like make a grid out of everything that we take in we make a grid like inside of ourselves um and i think you kind of like do that for a while and then you kind of like start to pivot and and start undoing it and taking it apart and asking questions about why you made the decisions you made and the choices you made uh in those like categorizations and organizations to begin with Mm. and i feel like with that comes maybe the either hope or certainty or like a mix that anything is possible and you don't have to do things in a particular way and I don't know if this applies more specifically to people in creative fields also maybe I shouldn't be painting with broad strokes about like everybody's experience I should say this is my experience Mm -hmm. um but it, it does seem like something that comes up when I talk about sort of like going from my 20s to my 30s with with other music people at least like there does seem to be kind of across the board like a shift like oh yeah I may have been prioritizing things in an unhealthy or unproductive way and I can alter that now and keep going does that make any sense yes um, yeah hmm, it makes cool. a lot of sense and I'll tell you I'll tell you why as somebody who just recently had um I switched career paths from being like an on-air radio personality to being somebody behind the scenes where a lot of it just feels like, oh, and, and I'm in my late 30s. So it's like, oh, I feel like I've given up the dream of fame, but it's like not even a priority, actually, when you think about it, you know? Yeah. Does that sound similar? Yeah, I think there's like something there's definitely like I f- I feel that resonates with me a lot and like at a certain like earlier point in my life I was like I wanted to be on tour nonstop and I thought that was also the only way that I could like ever achieve anything. And now I'm like you couldn't pay me <laughs> to get in another 12 passenger van and do another <laughs> loop of of this enormous country right now uh no thanks like i i mean i and the more i work in kind of like the pop adjacent world like i do a lot of of co-writing with and for other artists now and like the more 
I interface with that world and the more that I'm in Los Angeles, I'm just like, the more I am like thankful to be like where I am doing what I am, like being able to make the stuff that I want to make and do the things that I want to do without like interfacing with certain aspects of the industry side of my art world uh, in ways that like young artists that are coming up now are currently doing it it looks exhausting so what what are some of those interfacings that you're happy to get rid of or happy to be done with i think that the way a lot of people in music and in los angeles (laughs) it's a horrifying little venn diagram overlap slice the way that a lot of people think about youth and value is like a scary black hole that i don't want to get any closer to and I think the idea of somebody who doesn't make music maybe uh, having a conversation with me in which they say you cannot release x y or z because of this marketing reason or this branding reason um, that kind of stuff that goes on is like like sometimes Sometimes I'll be like working on a project with with a young artist and we'll make a bunch of really cool shit that they're really excited about. And, you know, months will go by of radio silence. And then it is revealed that like, no, the label like really needs some like straight ahead, like dance pop. And I think that's like bad for that young person. I think it's bad for their soul. Um, And I think it's like bad for the collective, like sum total of music that exists in the world. There is something to be said about protecting culture and protecting art and being on the right side of the scale when it comes to creating art that is meaningful and sharing art that's meaningful. So I don't know if that resonates with you at all. Yeah. Yeah, that that 100% resonates. I think like somebody was just talking to me in a session the other day. They they had mentioned they like they were working with somebody and and this person was like, "Oh yeah, I want to be a famous pop star because I want to be a famous pop star like not because like <laughs> they love making music or they love performing or or anything but like the sort of accidental you know I think I think it was Mike Myers on maybe like the Mark Marin podcast or maybe Alec Baldwin's podcast I listened to a long time ago and he said like fame is the toxic byproduct of making stuff And I think that's really true. Like, it's really not good for anybody. It's not good for the people who are experiencing it. And it's not good for people who, like, observe it and have a reaction to it. It's it's just kind of a weird thing that doesn't really accomplish anything. And now that I live in a place where I accidentally sometimes make eye contact with people and like while my brain is like doing a filing thing where it's like did I go to college with this person did I meet this person at a party recently oh no it's that guy from modern family fuck and he (laughs) saw me looking at him uh, because I was like trying to place him in my mind I feel like people who are like visibly publicly recognizable I just feel like it must be so hard for them to like live life to go to the grocery store I mean Maybe yeah. they don't have to go to the grocery store. Maybe they haven't been to the grocery store in years. But, like, to know that they, like, couldn't go if they wanted to and, like, not be approached by someone, you know, it just, like, feels, ugh. Do you, do you remember the, the moment where you're like, oh, actually, I don't think fame is, is, what, is what I want? When I first started coming to L.A. to do session writing work, I met a producer who works with like a lot of very famous people and he was talking about how he had like been in a band for years and then like started to do more work in in the kind of behind the scenes capacity and like the more he was around like really famous people the more he was like it's like living in a coffin and I think that was like the point at which like probably by the time I met this guy the scales were already tipping you know, and my priorities in life were starting to change. But when I heard that phrase, like, it, it's in my head every day. Um, it's, like, pretty heavy. Because I think, like, based on what I've, like, already said, like, it kind of goes along with, like, oh, I can, like, make whatever I want. I can also, like, do whatever I want. Because, like, there's not 
that weird thing that could, you know, interrupt my life at any moment. Mm. I don't know. It just doesn't seem like fun. Mm. Uh, but also, you know, I guess after a certain point, you're like so famous and so rich that like you can create a little insulated world that's just yours with like private jets and you know all your friends are famous so like they're which i'm sure must be nice for famous people to have other people who can understand totally um that was a great that was a great conversation thank you for that i went through like a bunch of your interviews and like just pulled phrases that that um i really connected to and one of them was you talking about your quote semi-neurotic perfectionist tendencies so mm -hmm. full disclosure jenny used to stay with me um you you stayed like you've crashed at my apartment a couple times while on tour oh yeah and thanks yeah of course and i noticed that you were like the perfect guest where you cleaned up after yourself you cleaned up after me and you were being <laughs> just like very perfect and i really appreciated it but also kind of found it like a little exhausting for you as like being an empathetic person and I wondered what it was mm -hmm. like from your perspective about how you live with that and keep that perfectionist under control. Yeah. I Well, I think it's like balance, balance, balance. And it's like always kind of like a process <laughs> and something that I'm thinking about and trying to like. Sounds like you're being a perfectionist uh, right now. <laughs> um, Even that laugh. <laughs> there we go. I think like. <laughs> thank you. I think when somebody opens their home to you, that's like a gift. And like, I really value like the sanctity of my home environment. So I like try to be respectful of the sanctity of other people's home environments. And I guess that kind of like applies across the board. And if I'm not, if I'm not minding myself, I think it can get out of balance. It's, it's not hard for it to, to tip too far. And it's something that I have to like actively engage with all of the time, you know, like I will, God help me, I will <laughs> work on a draft of the simplest, most utilitarian email you could possibly imagine. And I will get halfway through a sentence and think like, okay, this sentence is good. Oh, except like, it's entirely possible that this person could have like a personal history with fill in the blank obscure thing. And like, this could feel not right. Or like, oh, is this too cheery? Or oh no, is this not cheery enough? Like, I hope this person knows that I like them and respect them, uh, but I don't want to be over the top about it. So yeah, I guess there's like a lot going on um, in that regard. And it is like something that I, that I have to watch and that I'm trying to get better with. Sometimes I will hit send on an email before I'm comfortable hitting send on an email just to even things out a little bit. Wow. Just like throwing a fistful of dirt into the wind and hoping for the best. Oh, God. I listened to the query episode that you did with Cameron Esposito and the most controversial mm. thing that I think that we learned was that you went by Jen in <laughs> high school. Uh, I did. I did. Um, sorry to have not, like, blown your mind. Right. I wish you had told me. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I feel like you owe all of us a huge apology. An enormous apology. I've been, I've been carrying on in a deceptive manner, and I apologize for not being totally truthful with you from the get-go. Re this really was an opportunity to transition to talking about your high school experience. So here we go. Oh boy. Um, Everyone's favorite time in their life. Right. Oh man. But it is such an important time, particularly in the way as the way that young people in high school connect with music and truly form their oh, yeah. first musical relationships. So what were some of yours and what was your what was your experience with um, with with picking up the guitar and picking up music for yourself? Growing up, my parents like played a lot of Beatles and Beach Boys and like oldies radio, so I got into that stuff. Like I was like pretty into that stuff growing up, and then then we had this like strange Christian phase as a family. Not that there's anything wrong 
with anything necessarily, although I wouldn't recommend the church that we went to. So we had this like moment in time where we were like going to church and listening to a lot of like contemporary Christian music. And then I heard, my mom was like really into Weird Al. And I heard, before I ever heard Smells Like Teen Spirit, I heard Weird Al's uh, parody of it, which is called Smells Like Nirvana, and had like a real moment where the, you know, the guitar starts and then the like kick snare kick pattern comes in. You know, and then it gets like real loud and wild. And when I heard that for the first time, I was like, whoa, it was like zoom in, dolly out. Ah, everything is different now. And then I got like really into Nirvana and Green Day. And Hold on. Hold on. Yes. How can I help? I cannot believe the story that you just told me that you heard the Weird Al version of Smells yes. Like Teen Spirit before Nirvana. Yes. How does I can't. How does that happen? What? I'm like we lived literally so speechless. far in the woods. We lived so far in the woods that we couldn't get cable, and like they had not started running cable out to the deep, deep part of the woods that I was in. And we only had like a classic rock radio station. That was like the only signal we could get. So, wow. so I had to get it via Weird Al, who your mom was really into. My mom was really into for some reason. I hope that if you ever have the opportunity to tell Weird Al that that this he helped story, me discover Nirvana, <laughs> right? That you tell him and that you tell us all what his reaction is, because I don't know if there's. Do you think? I mean, how many people out there in the world have that story? I don't know. I guess when I find him, when I hunt him down and tell him, I'll, I'll find out how many people have gotten to him with that story or a version of it, it or can't, if there are none. Listen, it can't be that hard to get Weird Al on the phone. We're only one degree away from each other at this point. Um, so now you're really inspiring me to try to make this happen. Yeah. I would love I would love to help in any way. Excellent. Excellent. I will quit my job and just dedicate my life to this <laughs> to this summit. Anyways, please proceed. Nirvana the Cranberries. I cannot believe that Weird Al was your gateway into into I, 90s grunge I know it rock. is. It's amazing. It is wild to think about after the fact. I knew you were special, um, Jenny. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Nirvana, Green Day, the Cranberries. And then like, you know, Alanis Morissette came along uh, and that was like a whole thing. Then I started like hanging out in alternative music chat rooms. Yes. Me um, too. Excellent. The year was excellent. 1996. We were on... <laughs> We were online at one o'clock in the morning when your dad turned the heat off and you wrapped the modem in a towel. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and I started, like, meeting people in those rooms and, like, trading tapes and stuff uh, in the mail. Got into, like, this Canadian band Sloan and soul coughing and, like, Slater Kinney and like heard bands like Bauhaus and and like Susie and the Banshees and stuff for the first time and you were in high school yeah. at this point mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so what was everyone else around you in high school listening to country music and hip-hop so different and 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 like whatever alternative stuff was like on top 40 which at that time was like pretty considerable you know yeah so like um Prince and Pearl Jam oh yes and Indigo Girls, because they were on Top 40. Oh, yeah. Point, yes. And my stepsister used to be married to this guy who was running a guitar, like, repair and build shop out of his basement. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, my dad, my dad organized for me to, like, take a few guitar lessons from him. And that's kind of, like, how it got started w- with regard to, like, playing and starting to learn. And then I had, like, a handful of friends. How old were you? Who, oh. Like thir- 13, I think, when I first started guitar. And then when I got like more into like like 15, 16, I was like playing in, you know, basements with friends a lot, like throughout high school. When did you start writing? Probably about about then, like 15, 16. Um, nothing really worth mentioning. <laughs> but maybe like my senior year or my junior year of high school, I, I got into 
playing solo acoustic stuff and like going to lots of open mics and where I lived all the open mics were at bars so I had to get like special permission and it was like always during the week and I like had school the next day and like sometimes the stuff would go until like one in the morning but I got really into doing that and I ended up meeting some guys who had like a, a local studio and recording like an a, like a guitar vocal albums worth of songs that I had written up to that point which thankfully is lost to the ages. The sands of time have eroded it away. Uh, there's no <laughs> footprints left to, to speak of. But uh, but I did go through that whole process. That happened. Nice. And then I had like this awesome teacher when I was in elementary school who had like kept in touch with me after I moved on to high school. And she had a stepson who was in this music program at SUNY Purchase. And she was like, you should check this school out. So I went to their open house and they had like a performance at the open house where like they had stuff on display from from kids who were in different conservatories there was like a, a short film from somebody in the film conservatory and there was like visual art and then there was like uh, a performance by a student who was in the music program at the time who actually is our connection origin story uh regina specter was like the student at, <laughs> who performed a few songs at the open house wow. for prospective future students and i like went to that day and was just like whoa and it, like after that everything kind of became about going to purchase and that's where i went oh that's awesome before yeah before we move on into talking about the purchase stuff is it is it okay to talk about your sexuality in high school Oh, sure. Yeah. So I read that you realized that you were gay when you were in junior high. Yeah, I had like a secret girlfriend for a while, for a little while. She was a secret girlfriend mostly because she had a boyfriend. Whoops. Um, <laughs> er, uh, but yeah, but I also like because of like church stuff and just like kind of the social hue of where I grew up, like I was really invested in finding a way around it mm -hmm. um but alas like or, when hooray you, <laughs> when you when you figured it out were you like oh this is an absolute emergency and i just need to and i just need to avoid it at all costs or you were you just like i just need to keep this like hidden for a little while or was it like a thing where you had to hide it that you thought you might have had to hide it forever yeah, I, I would say the last thing, I, I think. Um, but it also, like, came on very slowly. Like, it was a creeping thing. Even when I was, like, when, even when I had a secret girlfriend, I was, like, most of me, most of my out loud brain was, like, well, this is just practicing for boys. <laughs> yeah, but then eventually it just kind of, like, it just, like, kind of steadily built and grew until it was, like, ah, oh, very clear that it wasn't going anywhere, I guess. When you were in high school, were you in the closet to everyone or were you telling certain people? Um, well, I would say that for a while, certain people were telling me. Love that. Like bo boys uh, who were being... Uh, not helpful. Who were trying to not be helpful, but rather be mean. Um, and then I think in my senior year, I, I started to like feel pretty chill about it. and And most people... I think most people knew or like most people that I was like spending time with knew. So like fast forward to like when you started playing music professionally, like 2006. You said oh, yeah. I was a full time. Back in the closet. Get back, back in there. Get oh, in the closet. Hurry. <laughs> you said I could think of maybe three or four out musicians. What was that mm -hmm, vibe mm -hmm. like? That What was that vibe back then for gay musicians? It didn't seem great. It seemed like anybody who I who I knew about who was an out gay musician like that kind of dwarfed everything else that I knew about them you know what I mean like mm -hmm. there were like musicians and then there were gay musicians you right. know what I mean you, that was kind of like the the tone you think for a while they would call them like my my former co-worker at at WIEP her name is Rosemary and she is like uh, she's been out for decades and decades, like since the since at least the eighties when she started working at WYEP and she would program the quote women's music show and it was all <laughs> like Joan Armatrading uh. and like Farron and 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 things like wow, that. Wow, yeah. yeah. Music for her and her. Right. It was just like a different 
a different way to say like lesbian music, you know, or yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I don't know if you want to have that conversation about. I don't know. At least when I was younger, I never like really considered it because of the um, because of the like lesbian role models that were around, like namely like Indigo Girls and Melissa Etheridge and Katie Lang, where I'd look at those musicians and definitely not see myself like seeing like oh if you yeah. want to be a lesbian you have to like wear cargo shorts and have a have like a short haircut and not be yourself yeah I think that like and there's nothing wrong with that at all there's no there's nothing wrong with that but I think there's like a lot of value in the vast array of ways that all kinds of people can see themselves represented now in you know across all media that like wasn't always the case right yeah it's like you know even just like 10 or 15 years ago it's like the thing you were talking about with your 20s where you like make a grid for yourself and your brain it's sort of like you make mm -hmm. a grid for other humans too and if yeah. they don't fit on that grid then it's like whoa it's so confusing and so weird like, where are you gonna yeah. put Tori Amos on that grid you just have to make a new grid she gets a throne on top of the grid, I think. <laughs> totally. Oh, man. These are, like, really intense questions I asked about being gay. <laughs> <laughs> well. You ready for them? Uh, I'm so ready. Okay. I think that this is a quote from you where you're saying there was a lot of self-hate that came along with staying in the closet. Does that ring true for you? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, like, whatever you tell yourself or whatever I was telling myself in terms of like, oh, it's like important for me to like just keep my personal life and my career separate or whatever. No matter how you kind of justify it in your mind, there's something that's not good for you. Or there's certainly something that wasn't good for me about that. Just like the sort of psychological buildup over time, even of just like having to check myself in conversation or like not be a specific way with a girlfriend if she was at a show or something like that that's just like not healthy like it's just like not how humans are meant to right be. right right and and that kind of like leads into the next question where you came out was it 2013 you came out mm -hmm. by writing a letter on everyoneisgay.com you were looking to set a positive narrative for queer people and it felt liberating and made you feel comfortable right away Further on that note, how did it feel to come out in such a public way? Most of my nature is not about jazz handsing it up. You know what I mean? Like most of my nature is is trying to like make space for other people and or like a good chunk of my nature is about that. So there's there's something like being that's a like, good house guest. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and and there's something that feels pretty unnatural to me about like now I have some personal announcements. For everyone who <laughs> might find their way to this announcement upon the internet. But it, it did feel like very good after such a long time of trying not to say it. You know, it, it felt instantly much better to not be not saying something. There's something that like rubs me the wrong way about like trying to position myself in any way as like, and I'm trying to set a good example <laughs> or like be a pot, like a drop in the bucket of the positive side of this strange scale or whatever like it feels a little self-aggrandizing or something but also the only way that we get anywhere is by stuff adding up over time so there's a certain amount of like I think acceptance of the like positive things that aren't necessarily in my immediately accessible nature that I have tried to embrace mm, it's hard <laughs> you're doing great yeah you're doing so good. Oh, thanks. Oh my gosh, thanks. Um, podcasting. I do it. No one can stop me. So it's called Buffering the Vampire Slayer. It's in season five. And you do that with Kristen Russo. I do. And you also do another podcast that is kind of a new venture. Same kind of format called Mar Yeah, yeah. It's Veronica Mars Investigations. That's right. It's, it's myself and... Helen Zaltzman, who makes an incredible uh, language podcast called The Illusionist. She also makes another podcast called Answer Me This. She's a real podcaster, and she <laughs> really has an English accent, and she's very funny. And we talk about Veronica Mars, 
Uh, and that's been going on for, I don't know, like a few months now. What do you enjoy about hosting a podcast? And is there anything that you've learned from podcasting that impacts your music or vice versa? I think I started buffering because I like loved listening to podcasts and I like really enjoyed certain TV recap podcasts and I loved Buffy. Getting to do that has been like, I mean, it's so fun and it's like a hoot. And oh, and I write a song for every episode. So there's this like extra kind of like working out songwriting muscles kind of like component. But I think like the thing that is like the most meaningful to me about making about making buffering in particular is the incredible like shades of humanity and acts of kindness and goodness that I have seen just because I happen to be the person making the podcast like we have this Facebook group there's like a couple thousand people in it and they make all these little subgroups amongst themselves there's like a group of them that all watch Veronica Mars for example uh and and there's like you know groups for different cities and they they organize their own meetups and all of this stuff and then there's one subgroup that's just all about them taking care of each other that destroys me it's this thing that they self-started where if somebody's having a bad day they can just kind of like let loose in this one subgroup and everybody will like chime in and support them and hold space for them and then a lot of the time people will outside of the group hit each other up and be like everybody venmo me five dollars and i'm gonna like send an incredible care package over to Susie's house it's messed up it's (laughs) freaking messed up over there so like getting to see these sweet 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 people like find each other just because of this like little hub that we make they find each other and then they like take care of each other and it's it might be like the most beautiful place on the internet i don't know cindy finally you have new music out i do night shift i do yes what can we say about night shift i kind of took a little break i took the focus off making stuff for myself for my own artist project for a little while because I had been like getting involved in the co-writing world and moving to LA and starting the podcast was the last thing slack tide mm-hmm. which I'm not even sure how much it really counts because slack tide was like a new song and like a few like reinterpretations of older songs and a cover um, it was just something like I, I wanted to like do something Mm -hmm. but it wasn't like a full complete thought and what's cool about the fact that I was otherwise occupied for so long is that I ended up like kind of amassing like a real heap of songs and I was able to uncharacteristically kind of like pick and choose what songs I felt really belonged together for this set of songs and I also like a, a good chunk of the recordings and the songwriting are like because of collaboration, like made possible because of collaboration, made possible because of people I met via LA songwriting. Like uh, I wrote a couple songs with friends from New York and recorded one remotely with friends from New York. But otherwise they're like songs that I wrote with people I met because of co-writing. And I, I Ethan Greska, uh, who is insanely uh, good. Uh, I know. Um, uh, he, <laughs> he produced three of them and we wrote one of them together and jake sinclair who i do tons of work with now um in the co-writing world he makes like he made the last couple panic at the disco records and he makes weezer records and works with like really fancy fancy people um and it was very exciting to get to make a song with him to get to record a song with him um that a song that i had written with Bess rogers who you of course know who's i know her person and it just like felt um, also a good house guest. Oh yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> See, of course she is. She's the best. <laughs> so I guess it felt kind of like more intentional. It felt like the most intentional thing I've I've made and released up to this point. Wow. Um, which is cool. And I feel like I mean I guess everybody says this as they make a new thing, but I think it's the best thing that I've done. I think it's the best body of work I've made so far. I think the songs are the best songs, and I think the recordings are the best recordings, and. Uh, I'm real hyped up on them. That's awesome. Jenny Owen Youngs, will you do the lightning round with us? <gasps> I would be honored. I love lightning. Hit me. Okay. First song you learned on the guitar. Uh, when I Come Around. 
by Green Day. Batman or Superman? Batman. Hotmail, Gmail, or Yahoo? Ugh, Gmail, unfortunately. What is your vocal register? Alto? Do you read music or play by ear? Play by ear. What is your karaoke song? I've never karaokeed. Wow. Um, dogs, cats, or something else? Dogs in the number one slot. Favorite U.S. No city? Offense, Dottie. Oh, Dotto. Favorite U.S. city? <sighs> New York, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> what if it wasn't New York or LA? Um, I my head went to Chicago, but do, does it have to be a major no. metropolitan center? Absolutely not. Oh, I really like um, Kittery, Maine, which might still be too small, but Portsmouth, New Hampshire, is right over the river. Does that count? Yes. You're shaking your head. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> First album you bought with your own money? Uh, that would be. Never mind by Nirvana. Wow. First concert. Uh, the Beach Boys. Last book that you read? Oh no. That you can remember? My brain. <laughs> uh, last book that I read that I can remember for sure would be like Autobiography of Red by Ann Carson. Dream collaboration. Scary. It's a scary question. This is a. I know this is a lightning round and I'm just vamping here while I desperately try to think of who my dream collaboration is. Ringo Starr, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> uh okay all right i guess if that's what if that's what i get automatically assigned if i don't say something fast enough then i guess it's gonna be ringo right unless something else came to mind billy joel <laughs> uh billy joel does some incredible work right uh star trek or star wars star trek next generation correct what is the most beautiful place you've ever visited um, Norway, well, like, Norway, Sweden, somewhere in there, um, but there, there's probably a tie between two zones. Mm. Jenny, you did okay. I did okay. Am I, am I ranked based on, uh, speed of answering questions? Yes. Or quality of answers or both? Well, it's, it's kind of like a sliding scale and you probably, on a scale of one to 10, you did like 6.5. Oof, man. That's going to keep me up at night. <sighs> we can try again next time. Okay. All right. Thanks. This has been, this is a really great interview. Oh my gosh. I feel like it's, um, it's my best one ever. Holy fuck. Right. I know. Um, My internal like achievement bot is stoked. Right. You didn't do that great on the lightning round, but in terms of like overall interview. Yeah. Wow. You're my star Thank student. You. Thanks for having me. Thanks for asking so many great questions and letting me talk into infinity. Oh, of course. Anytime. All right. Yes. Basic Folk is uh, produced by Adam Corey with assistant production from Laura McCarthy. Lindsay Myers is our business manager. Alex Stanton of Townspeople does our music. Basic Folk is proud to be a part of the Pantheon podcast group. I'm your host, Cindy Howes. And just real happy that you're listening and hope that you're enjoying it. And if you want more, you can go to my website, cindyhouse.net. There are show notes. You can sign up for our mailing list. And you can also join our Facebook group, Basic Folk Basics. I think that's it. Okay, great. We'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.